As soon as they have a few bucks, they seem to be, you know, the, the landlord, and you know, or the Stuki, my, my, is, is actually Stucky in, in Polish, you know, they were coming from Poland. I mean, people always move from one place yeah. to the other, and this is what makes the world a place worth living. Otherwise, you know, I, I wouldn't live on pasta always <laughs> for the rest of my life. Yeah, no. <laughs> I can't be on the record saying anything. What's that sound? Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Proposition sounds intriguing. Proposition sounds very attractive. Still give the proposition. I tell you it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Mm -hmm. Seems a sound proposition, what brought you here. I am Bruno Stucchi and uh, together with my partner Fabio Carboni uh, we established the Chartel, the independent music, Italian music label um, specialized in avant-garde and uh, electronic and all that stuff, uh, you know. Actually 15 years ago, it's a quite, quite long time ago and uh, well, I think that's it. You know, I'm a designer by education and also I still work as a designer. And, uh, you know, and, uh, publishing records <laughs> is what I actually, you know, consider my first job. Even, you know, you can't make a living out of that, unfortunately, these days. You know, not certainly with this type of music. <laughs> The story goes that, uh, you know, I was an avid record collector of experimental music. Um, and then I met uh, on the internet and that was really the beginning of the, you remember the eBay thing where everybody was, you know, exchanging records, buying records, uh, you know, the, the bidding on, on, on stuff. And then I, I, I met Fabio. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was living in Sardinia at, at the time, so an island uh, quite distant from Milan. And we started uh, exchanging records, but more importantly, ideas. And the idea was, why don't we do something together? You know, and uh, you know, we had the same feeling that a, a, a huge um, number of a huge part of the Italian avant-garde electronic production. Uh, you know, n names such as Pietro Grossi and others weren't actually available. You know, few records were published over the years for many different reasons. Mainly they weren't at all interesting uh, for the, you know, for the market, for the, for the major labels. And also uh, there, there was a lack, uh, actually an absence of the Italian government in supporting, uh, you know, these type of things. So we, we started, uh, you know, over the phone saying, why don't we publish something? So we got in contact with, uh, actually Fabio got in contact with the Archivio Grossi and uh, it all started there. You know, we received the tapes and, uh, you know, we didn't have a clue of what it meant to produce a record from, from any, any standpoint, like, you know, putting the music together and, uh, you know, designing, designing was the only thing that I could do, you know, doing the covers and so on. And so I remember that we ended up with a stack of, uh, you know, cardboard boxes in our, in our office, in my office uh, at the time and saying, what the hell are we going to do with these? So we had to learn about, you know, distribution and so on. But the, 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 the great thing was that the web at the time meant that, that we were able to connect with a network of people doing the same things or having the same ideas. And so we, it was quite easy and exciting to, you know, get into these things and uh, with the help of, friends, you know, being able to distribute that and uh, not by accident Pietro Grossi, you know, he was definitely one of the unsung heroes and, uh, you know, shedding a completely new perspective on what was electronic music considered at the time, classical electronic music considered at the time. He, he really was a revolutionary and so we really liked the idea of uh, starting from him.
Well, we, we, we've sort of established a, a, a plan, not certainly a business plan, but uh, if you like an editorial plan, where we were familiar with these names because we both uh, were, you know, really, uh, we read a lot. We were, you know, digging obscure books and the references on magazines and stuff. So we had a, more than a collection of records that was, of course, in place, but we had a list of, uh, you know, desiderata, a list of things that we wanted to discover. And so uh, it was really a matter of going, physically going to these guys, you know, and uh, meeting Frank Asaki and, uh, and Marino Zuccheri and, uh, and, uh, and Nore Zafiri, and uh, sometimes convincing them that we were there, you know, for real, and that we wanted to do these things for real. They, they were, some of them were quite bitter. Some couldn't believe their ears. Some, some others were simply not interested because you know time, time has passed by. It was passed by, and uh, and that was it. You know, so it was a matter of collecting tapes, sometimes in you know disastrous conditions, and doing all the things like uh, you know cooking them and restoring and taking decisions on the, what thing what kind of music, what, what actually, what perspective, you know, it was really a starting point uh, in order to create. It wasn't, it wasn't done with any sort of uh, preconceived intellectual, you know, approach. It was really coming from the heart and from our ears and, uh, you know, from the thing that we really like to listen to. And I, I have to say, it is still like that. You know, we with our our he, our ears and you know our listen um, listening is the main decision why going for one thing or the other, and uh, and there wasn't a, a sort of a, uh, the other idea was to present the stuff not just in the most splendid way possible. That in, that involved some you know some critical financial decisions because we we didn't have the money and but we wanted to invest a little bit of money. Not just in terms of you know the formal appearance like you know how well the design was made or how beautiful the packaging was but also from uh, the standpoint of presenting the music um, in the in the best way possible uh, of you know having some well-written English text, some comments involving other musicians in giving, you know, their uh, notes or comments and uh, making those things available in a completely different sense than, uh, you know, the academic way of presenting. We, we didn't want to make any textbook. We just want to make something that uh, was alive and, uh, and uh, desirable from, also from, let's say, non-expert audiences. And that seemed to pay, to pay off. We did it since the very beginning with uh, the idea of uh, making these available and accessible to international audiences as well. Uh, it was the best way to serve, uh, you know, the music that we were publishing, the artists that we were publishing. We just, we, we simply didn't want to, you know, hey, an Ored Zafiri, you know, big in, in Turin, you know, who cares? And that's why we invested a lot of time and effort in, the, you know, for, the, for example, the bilingual, and not just in translating text, but making sure that the texts were translated in a, in a, in a good way. And, um, and uh, since the very beginning, we had people like uh, um, um, 
the guy behind me, Maraglu Music, uh, you know, what's his name? Keith Fuller. Keith Fuller, Keith. He was, he was one of the, our early fans. I mean, he did the fantastic reviews of the Pietro Grossi record saying, you know, um, alert, you know, high standard production alert here, you know, and great music and so on. So since the very beginning, we, we, we found, a, a, you know, a good, uh, you know, a very good attention, a lot of attention on uh, in the US, for example. And, uh, you know, then Forced Exposure came in, and, uh, but it was quite natural. With respect to Italy, we immediately felt that we were sort of, um, um, how to say that, uh, we were becoming a sort of a collider of energies, where a, a number of people acting in more or less the same area from uh, other, you know, uh, labels, uh, owners to artists and musicians, and so we found ourselves in, a, sort of in the in the center of these things. I wouldn't call that a scene, but uh, you know, clearly people were waiting for somebody, you know, able to do this or willing to do this or simply willing to invest money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which is maybe not so common here. Well, you know, you have to be very careful <laughs> with your... <laughs> but uh, clearly, as I said before, this is not, uh, at least this is not my first job. So I, I found a good way of investing the money I was making with my design business into music, which, which was a good way. And also because I, I really want, since I was a kid and, uh, you know, I was collecting records, then I, my greatest thing was, uh, you know, to design record covers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, great, the, the best way was simply to establish a label so you can become the, the editor, the publisher, sorry, the publisher, the, the, the client, so you can become the client and you cannot in any way interfere with the design. <laughs> Now we are certainly very happy of the fact that we have an international audience that our figures have changed and that allows us to do you know more ambitious project uh, it wouldn't have been possible at the time to approach like Roland Kine simply because the the amount of rights you have to pay are you know unsustainable for you know things like that so yeah Are there any memorable covers that, from from childhood that uh, stand out to you that you remember being like, that's a great cover? Oh my God, yes, of course. I mean, uh, I may sound a little bit mainstream here, but I was totally into Rogers Dean's classical Yes covers. Yeah. You know, when I was... <laughs> I, I was, but that on 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 uh, on one side. Then I discovered when when I started discovering, let's say, um, experimental music, I was really drawn into the uh, unusual uh, modern art type of uh, you know design. Uh, and uh, the real epiphany was when I found and I discovered the Philips. Perspective series, the 21st century Philips perspective series with the silver covers, and I'm actually dreaming and working because my my dream is to actually publish a book on on, on those covers, 
and uh, I'm doing researches and uh, hopefully in the near future I'll be able to publish a you know a sort of design music book on that on that thing and that is where the silver sort of imprint of the Chateau it was a great way of also paying homage to something that I really liked, I really loved when I was younger then. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a. There, there are actually a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of reasons behind that. You know, I wanted to refer back to a certain type of aesthetics. You know, the sort of fifties aesthetic. You know, the the birth of, uh, uh, you know, the 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 machine age and uh, the, the the early electronica. Uh, uh, the choice of typeface. You know, everything was chosen with uh, a very. There's a there's a meaning behind every choice. Why you went for that typeface? Why I decided to use that technique and so on. But it was really more than uh, an ego thing or, you know, it was really trying, I was really trying to build um, a parallel discourse for, for the label, not just on the music um, level, but also on the design level and uh, making a lot of connections between, uh, you know, the Chateau and uh, Italian modern art, concrete art, uh, Movimento Arte Concreta, or uh, the light sculptures of Melotti, all, all those things are in, in fact there. And it took a lot of also of hand drawing. I mean, uh, you know, I, I am a designer in the, in the true sense of the term. I do designs mm -hmm. and I wanted to, you know, uh, I had my signs that I wanted to, you know. And by the way, recently uh, when publishing Marino Zuccheri, the book of, um, about Marino Zuccheri, the technician of the uh, Rai Studio di Phonologia, I have finally discovered his graphic work. It was sort of hidden into the drawers of his, you know, home. And uh, I found a lot of parallels, so, you know, funnily enough, you know, so it was a kind, a kind of a similar uh, kind of spirit, if you like. But uh, the other thing that you have to consider, uh, speaking about myself, and, uh, is that um, I started with uh, um, Gianni Sassi. Gianni Sassi was the man, he was my professor at the design school back in the uh, very early 80s, and uh, um, he was the man behind the cramps and multiply and so on. He was a very, very intense man, and you know, uh, somebody that you would call an intellectual today uh, has become a swear word in Italy, but it is actually, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've learned a lot. And he wasn't, he, he spoke about design and music and he was clearly doing that. Uh, but most importantly, he was always speaking about ideas behind, you know, uh, not just you know, the music or it, it, there was something deeper, more profound and incredibly, incredibly, let's say, complex that you had to, you know, the, 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 the complexity of the, of the discourse was so many layers, so many levels. And uh, this is something that we are, without any, you know, comparison, of course, that we are trying to, to do since the very beginning. You know, there are so many layers of meaning and, uh, it is not, not just about publishing records, it's also when we, for example, when we published the, the first um, edition of the Gruppo d'Improvisazione Nuova Consonanza, the tapes from 67, 69, the Azioni mm -hmm. tapes, 
we uh, also published in more or less at the same time, but you know, the, the box of the uh, 10 CDs of Italian improvisation. So we were really, really trying to make people think of, uh, you know, a, a potential connection and, and, and giving them some sort of tools where to find, you know, the different intersections of these types of things and, uh, you know, where the similarities, not just in terms of music, but also in terms of uh, ideas, approach, uh, what it means to be an, uh, you know, an improvised music musician today as opposed to what they were doing and so on and so forth. Is he the one that they called Frankenstein? Yeah, 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 because of his, you know, <laughs> because of his physical appearance, but also because he, he had a very strong asthma and, uh, you know, he was smoking, like chain smoker in, in, in the class and uh, he, he was staring at you with those eyes. I mean, and he was a really imposing figure. Mm. He was actually, you know, um, here in Via Tadino, where we are, there's the Moodima Gallery, and Gino Imaggio is, you know, the, the owner, and they were together, they established the Multipla um, imprint, which was an art gallery. So music was simply one of the manifestations of an idea, of an artistic idea. Uh, he was 100% uh, what would you, you would call a, situ a situationist, you know. The concerts, the concerts were in concert, they were actions, they were, you know, moments, you know, uh, guerrilla moments, if you like, uh, uh, that, that uh, were part of a, of a higher, uh, you know, conversation with his, with his public. So, yeah, yeah, art, uh, contemporary art, and also this is why when we, uh, with Fabio, especially Fabio and Sara, established, uh, you know, Artoteca, then uh, formerly Artoteca, then O.O. di Chateau, that was the idea to find a lot of uh, points of connection between what we were doing at uh, a publishing editorial level, but also creating a, a live, um, you know, scene or experience or possibility, if you like, for people to understand, you know, more. And also featuring artists uh, that, uh, for some of them, it doesn't make sense to have them on, on record. You know, they, they're doing something which is definitely bigger in scope and, uh, and, and wider in terms of experience. Um, maybe more visual than sound, notwithstanding the fact that sound is still the most important thing, or one of the, the important things. So, I mean, that was the idea. In 2004, I think, or five, we um, started, uh, we produced the Christina Kubisch uh, on air, um, you know, artist multiple, um, as well as vinyl record and, uh, and CD. And that, that was really our first venture into, uh, you know, sound art, contemporary art. Um, uh, and so, it was really since the very beginning, you know, the idea of having a sort of a <coughs> subprint or, um, you know, a, a series dedicated to 
different expression of, of art and sound together. And also the idea of craft, crafting those objects in the sense of uh, you know, be, making them become art pieces. In the case of Christina, um, you know, I, I came up with the idea of having these sort of uh, plastic cover and have her designing with a silver you know, pen, individually designed the, 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 the 99 covers. She was completely, she went mad. I mean, she was so enjoyed by the, by the idea. She enjoyed the, the, a lot, you know, doing that. And, uh, and still is one of the things that I remember. And then uh, after that, there were other, you know, uh, artists like from un totally unknown ones, like, uh, you know, Yuri Kalenderev, you know, one of the, he was totally nuts. He is, I think, still is. <laughs> but he is a great artist. Uh, up to, you know, Bruce Nauman, that was done, you know, a few year, a couple of years ago. And uh, it was a, con uh, uh, say, a, a project by, in conjunction with Blume. So, you know, that was the idea. Um, so, so it was, it was born really from the very beginning. Christina lived in Milan in, the, in Italy in the early 80s. Um, she was active and uh, very well recognized here. She did some fantastic installations. They are in the, uh, we try to, to capture, you know, all of them in the uh, interactive part of the CD at the time. Now, you cannot play it anymore on any, on any, unfortunately, this is the problem with technology, you know, and that's why, you know, a good old book and the vinyl records are still there for you to, to, to be experienced. But she was doing great things in, uh, in connection with a lot of uh, very interesting people, the ADN label. Yeah. Uh, they did the installation in the uh, little town of uh, uh, Gargonza in Tuscany, where they cabled an entire medieval town. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a very, very exciting scene. And uh, there, were, there were, at the time, a lot of connections between these, let's, let's, call, let's call them, you know, off type of artist, you know, these avant-garde, the strange people and the institutions or the, the big names in the, like, uh, you know, Gilo Dorfles, you know, the, the, these people, they were, there was a lot of exchanges between the, you know, the, if like the intellectual, academic and uh, institution and the, and the, and the, new, and the mu new music and new art. And Gianni Sassi, he's the perfect example of a man um, able to, you know, making these two words collapse into in many different ways and creating something. He was really able to speak with the institution, with the private companies. Uh, over the years, we, we tried to, um, let's say, intercept, if you like, you know, private uh, companies or, or potential, um, you know, potential sponsor. But uh, that, that thread as a, uh, you know, that, that thing has sort of disappeared now. Um, we, these days we are speaking with the, with the municipality of Milan about a, a project uh, that uh, we are dreaming of being able to release, a, a, you know, the entire work of Phonologia as a massive, you know, edition. You can't do that without the institutions, of course, and, uh, but they are, they're great people. They're, you know, from the right, political party, uh, they are willing to listen to you, but in reality, you know, it is difficult then to convey the energy and the funds to do that. Constantly, as human beings, especially if we, you know, have a little bit of a brain function, you know, on, we are still looking for something which is more profound than simply the, you know, the immediate groove or the immediate feel and so on. That is good for, you know, immediate moments. But uh, when it comes to music, what we value in the end, it is something that still possesses some qualities that we're not really able to understand completely. 
And that's why the best part of the production of the 60s and the 70s are things that you can really put on your turntable and say, whoa, I, I didn't get that. You know, there, is, there are still some layers and dimensions that are still there too. And the more you publish and the more you, the more you discover, the more you understand these things. You know? Because those people were very clever people. And you know, they, had, they had a lot of culture. They may, they may have been, might have been the most you know, the, the junkies or you know, extrovert people. But in reality, they possessed a lot of, a lot of profoundness and a lot of... Uh, for, for example, we are going to... We are working on uh, the Insieme Musica Diversa. I don't know whether you're familiar with that. It was one of our releases, uh, I think from 2007 or six. And it was the only Italian Fluxus collective um, and we did a little CD box full of treasures. It actually, you know, went very well at the time. I, I think we published something like 400 or 500 CDs. Uh, the wealth of, uh, you know, graphic scores and materials and, uh, you know, and it was just a, an, a little experience in, you know, in the, in the, in the little town in Umbria. But that is something when the more you dive into that thing, and Angelo Petronella was one of the was one of the founder of this group, and we're going to you know reconsider all these things, put everything into a, a fluxus box, and uh, and uh, try to you know resend that spaceship out in the universe and see whether. You know, <laughs> It's, it's, it's really an obscurity, if you like, and it's still sort of an uncharted type of uh, thing. They, 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 they were so Italian in that, in that perspective, you know. They weren't connected to any scene. They were, in, you know, they were a few kilometers away from Giuseppe Chiari in Florence, and, but they were doing things by themselves in this little, in this little town. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the venue they, they used to, um, you know, do their, performances was called the Pescheria, the fish shop. Actually, Umbria is the only region in Italy that doesn't have, <laughs> you know, yeah. sea in, in any part. Even Molise has a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a little Molise, but Umbria is the only, you know, full mountain region, and, and apart from Trentino, maybe. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so when you, when you look into that stuff, uh, you know, these four guys, uh, you know, three guys from, uh, you know, the, in, uh, uh, the little town in Umbria, the intensity of, of uh, and, the, and the profundity of, of their understanding of what Fluxus meant uh, was really impressive. Uh, in, in maybe in other countries, that would have sort of flourished into something bigger. They would have been invited into festivals and sort of contaminated with things. And, but maybe this is what makes, uh, you know, our job of discovering things great. You know, you really have the impression that you put your hands on a, on a treasure. Yeah. And uh, they may generate, you know, it's like the butterfly story, you know, they may generate an earthquake somewhere else in, the, in Seattle, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Soundon began uh, three, four, five years, more or less, after we established the Chateau. And the idea was to clearly couple, you know, the production with, uh, with the distribution. Uh, Soundon today is run by Fabio from an official standpoint. Clearly, we're all connected. I mean, this is this got to do with the Italian, you know, once again with the Italian quite complex, uh, you know, uh, financial bureaucratic situation. But anyway, it was really born with the idea of making uh, not just the Dishakta records available because you know it is such a tiny production. But uh, once again, the Fabio, he, Fabio, I personally think that Fabio is one of the, you know, the world expert in these, you know, much more expert than I am. Uh, he knows 
he's a you know, uh, re he, kno he really knows things that you wouldn't even imagine. I mean, the Bruce Nauman record was he's fine. He was saying, you know, I have the impression that there might be something there, and he digged into because we what happens is we are used these days to think that everything is out there on the web and you just you know look for it but in reality there are so many things which are still you know not charted not uh, mapped and the Bruce Nauman multiple the original one wasn't uh, wasn't there so he had to really do some truffle searches for that and uh, same happened with Marino Zuccheri we found a mention in a catalogue published in 1989 I think or 1979 by a, by an art uh, company in Italy and from there we realized that there was actually a piece from the man and not he wasn't simply the uh, the the engineer mm. and so it was really a matter of going you know in these little in this little town he was uh, retired and uh, he couldn't believe his ears he couldn't believe you know these two young guys who were the young well, these two young guys coming to me and asking for money I, I just don't want to be called a composer because I had the he said you know I had the, the honor of working with people such as Berio and Nono and you don't call me a composer <laughs> Um, do you remember the story? Uh, the story when that uh, Nono, Luigi Nono, was asked by Emilio Fedeva to compose the music, and he didn't want to do that. He said he didn't have time, but in reality, he didn't want to do something that has to do with capitalism, the Expo, and so on. So he said to Marino, "Why don't you do that?" And he said, "Okay, okay, great. I'm going to, you know." Gigi, I'm going to use some, you know, pieces from your, from your, you know, from the experiments that we do together. Don't worry, you know, they won't recognize you. And in reality, it is something that was, you know, 100% Marino, and it sounds still fresh and, and a little bit different from the production of, of Phonologia. But I have to say that Brian Eno is still considered. I mean, he not he, he did a career on many things, <laughs> and I, my total respect. But clearly, the idea of uh, you know today he is called the grandfather of electronic music, and especially the grandfather of the music uh, studio uh, or the producer as an instrument or as a creation, a creator of music. But the story dates back to Marino or François Bail or these people that were not simply technicians, you know, they were... They weren't composer too, and they weren't sound designer, they were, you know... There's, a, there's a, an illuminating essay by Gillo Dorfless on the, the becoming of arts, 1959, I think, um, you know, that sort of introduced this idea that music, um, electronic music, occupies the dimension of space all of a sudden with the studio and the electronic music and the you know the diffusion and um, you know music occupies the space and music was always related to time and now it has you know uh, become something that uh, will uh, you know that you would experience but it also has to do uh, with the way they were working with the tape it, it is much more of a visual thing, you know, when Marino was speaking about this composition, he said things like, you know, these masses of sounds moving from one place to the other, and, uh, you know, that was reflected by the length of the tape. Mm -hmm. So they could actually see when, you know, there was, a, you know, some music. Now with some diagrams, we do that all the time, yeah. but at the time yeah. it was really something visual and, uh, and a visual idea. That's quite fascinating. Not just on the screen, something you can. No, touch. no, 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 no. It's something you can touch and uh, and and cut and split and tape and uh, you know. Right. And he said, I remember I had these thirty meters long loop going out of of the office into the corridor, and everything was saying. Everybody was saying, "Are you mad? What are you <laughs> doing?" But I I really like this idea of these you know this immense ring of tape then brought into, you know, turned into sound and brought into a pavilion mm -hmm. in Montreal. Yeah. Oh, by the way, 
uh, I was in Montreal and I, I, and, I, and I was there in 67. I was a oh, really? little kid, I was four years old and, uh, and my parents took me there. Of course, I couldn't remember anything, yeah. especially about the, <laughs> the electronic music. Yeah. Something that my parents would have avoided carefully anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Expos were great, the Buckminster Fuller, you know, yeah. the habit at 67. I mean, those were pff, incredible ideas. And so progressive is the same thing as, a, as, as we said before about music, you know, the ideas behind habit at 67s and the Buckminster Fuller are still so valid. I mean, they, they have been unseen, mm. you know, and unnoticed for so many years. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that, uh, you know, a powerful narrative can do a lot for music? I mean, the nurse with one list is much more than a, than a list, and uh, as you correctly said, is a genealogy when it comes to, you know, their, their idea and, and their music. But it's also um, a story. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, you know, it was actually very, as a, as a designer, I'm used to create stories for my clients. You know, it's not just about creating images, it's creating stories. And I tend to reflect on the fact that uh, um, it doesn't matter how many records you possess, um, that library could be read in so many different ways and creating like map, like you might remember the Beautiful Mind movie where, mm-hmm. you know, the mathematicians was sort of creating possible connections. And those are, all untold stories and it would be great to you know to to have different people telling different stories um the other day fabio gave me a little book by a, an italian i can't even remember his name he was a um, aficionado and he wrote this book on uh, obscure music that he loved uh, you know over the years and, uh, you know, I was flipping through the book because I, I'm, I'm going to read it very soon and I stumbled upon the name of Paul's by the French uh, label Tapioca. You know, one of those obscure things, you know, sort of um, mid-70s, late-70s, electronic, Bison Berise, those type of things. I have all those records. And I listened to those records when I bought it. Completely forgot about them. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, 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 I read that little chapter. It isn't particularly well written, but that is not important. And I was immediately drawn back into listening to that stuff. And it opened up a completely new perspective. It wasn't really what was written there, but simply the fact that that was mentioned into something. And I completely changed my attitude towards, uh, you know, um, that music or listening to that music. Not even that music, myself listening to that music. Mm-hmm. And immediately, I found immediately some uh, relationship with, oh, this is interesting. This is much more interesting than I thought, you know, when I, when I listened to that at the time. And that is, I think, what a label should be doing, maybe, um, you know, music journalists should be doing. Think of what, uh, you know, the, the Friedman brothers, I think, did for the Krautrock, or Julian Cope did for the Krautrock, yeah. you know, and, uh, yeah. and so there is still, I think that there is still um, an unwritten story of, uh, uh, let's say, the 20th century or second part of the 20th century experimental music, beside and beyond what is written in the academic books. Uh, clearly, there are a lot of books on that, but uh, you know, starting from the records may be very, very, still very interesting. And I have to say, also starting from the design perspective, because the design is simply the reflection of a certain vision, you know, of a certain moment or a certain culture. Um, it's more often than. Uh, 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 you know, very often it's, it's deeply connected with the music. It, it is a statement by itself. So, a lot of projects for the yeah. future, you know, I mean, yeah. I just want to have more time. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
I mean, the, the, there is the powerful combination of a new technology and uh, sort of a, a you know, amateurish, free of mind, you know, type of attitude makes for incredible results. Yeah. Because I, I'm not in any way denying the fact that, uh, you know, what uh, the Darmstadt people, you know, their writings and thoughts, and you know, especially having been in close connection with the Archivio Nono and so on. I mean, there's such a uh, so much, you know, intelligence and profundity and so on. But in the end, to make things, you know, come to life, you have to do it with a little bit of, uh, you know, naivety. Otherwise, you know. And as Laszlo Molinagi said famously, you know, uh, any new idea, or not any new idea, but the very often a new idea is born out of, uh, you know, the discovery or the availability of a, a new technology. That was exactly the case. You know, people could go around with their tapes or, you know, create sounds in a very, you know, interesting way. And so, and I, I, I suspect that there are still so many things that we still don't know, which may sound very interesting with that perspective. I mean, I was flipping through my record collection and uh, um, I sort of stumbled upon, also because I am moving, so I am packing all my stuff, which is a good exercise, you know, because you go you go through things. And I stumbled upon a, um, um, a Folkways records by Tony, 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 can't remember his name, Tony Schwartz, I think, the guy who mapped the city of New York. Uh, remember the yeah. beautiful sets, the series of records where he was going in all the neighborhoods and uh, recording what was going on in the canteens or, you know, the feast from... Uh, yeah, actually, he recorded the a fantastic version of the Lion King sung by, uh, by a group of, uh, you know, people from Africa in some canteen in New York. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, and clearly those were the days where, you know, um, Marvelous Louis, what's his name, the guy with the... the um, helmet and the horns, uh, Moondog, you know, was, was on the streets of New York. There's a lot of stuff going on there, you know, not, not, not in that record, but in that I am sure there will be hidden tre treasures still to be discovered. A few years ago in the Venice Biennale, maybe the best edition of the Venice Biennale curated by Massimiliano Johnny, I think, um, there was a lot uh, you know, in, on, on show, there were a lot of uh, stuff coming from, uh, let's say, folk artists or, you know, sort of um, borderline people or simply things discovered in canteens or... And the energy there was so much higher than the established, you know, work of art. And I think that the same, um, you know, happens with music. Think of the latest edition, uh, uh, the recent edition of the Danish, uh, you know, amateurish, you know, yeah. type. F fabulous stuff, yeah. fabulous stuff. Clearly, you have to change your attitude if you're looking for music and, uh, and composition, and, and he's not there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the beginning of something. Those are the real experiments, you know, and... Uh, Well, certainly things were there, um, and uh, we tried since again since the very you know the early years of the of the label to release records from uh, you know a contemporary artist. Um, I have to say, you know, um, with a little bit of shame, we never released anything from Giuseppe Yelazi, which is, I think, still, you know, a name missing on, in our... But we started releasing things from uh, Stefano Pilia. By the way, the last record has, has just come out, so that is something that is still going on, if you like. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, Andrea Belfi and uh, Nicola Ratti, so we, we were definitely trying to, you know, complete, uh, you know, our offer with something more contemporary, actually something that was happening while we were speaking at the time. And uh, that sort of, uh, you know, went on with some difficulties and, uh, and uh, you know, for many different reasons. But clearly the establishment of, uh, of O and the Shackle together as a physical space, the idea was to function also as a, a place, a physical or a, a place where people could connect and things. Uh, but for, from, for 
one reason or the other that uh, at a certain point in time sort of stopped or you know slowed down a lot. We're still doing that. We are dreaming every day in our discussion between me and Fabio. We said we should definitely you know restart that conversation with our audiences. And uh, when it comes to the music, oh, the contemporary scene is. I mean, there, in Italy you have some. Fantastic energies, some great names, you know, from the, from Lorenzo Senni to Selva Fiorita to Tricoli to you know the the usual suspects and uh, Stefano, who has just been released. Um, and once again, you know, if there's if there's anything right with the concept of a scene, um, you know, it means that you know these people you know, sort of gravitate towards certain centers. The centers are still missing. There are isolated realities, Macau or, you know, the Terraforma, or, but they are not really connecting. And this may be a problem uh, with the Italian way of doing things. I mean, we are great at doing things. We're not definitely great in creating networks and doing things in a coordinated and organized way. The Isola district where, you know, the, the, the old gallery is, uh, at the time was really, you know, one of those sincere, you know, neighborhoods where you had like people. Now it's been gentrified. You have, you know, the celebrated uh, Bosco Verticale, you know, yeah. skyscrapers, uh, fucking arrogant thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But this is this is you know this is happening here. I mean, uh, I remember when we did the, the you know the very first concert the concerts. We were like 20 people in. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds very romantic, but it, there was a lot of energy, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't in, in any way uh, you know part of uh, you know the cool Milan or something. But it was really something for people that really believed into what they were doing and uh, and. Uh, all these places where, you know, former factories or warehouses, yeah. you know, the, the Milan is an industrial city. And that, by the way, uh, uh, makes a lot of sense in the, uh, in the perspective of having more labels than artists. <laughs> you know, it's still a, a city very concentrated and very, very keen on production. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Even if the creative scene, that has evolved a lot too. I mean, I, I agree with Nicola Ratti not simply because you live in the same place means that there is a scene. This is something that is, you know, can be seen from the outside. But uh, and and the, the great the great thing about Milan is there are so many different realities, both in in uh, both in uh, artistic terms as well as in production terms. And, um, at the time, we were clearly favored by the fact that there were still two pressing plants of vinyls. Now there's only one, and uh, it's almost impossible to approach it because, I mean, all the majors are reprinting, you know, I, I just don't want to say those names. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but the, so even from a, a production standpoint, it was really, you know, about connecting with, uh, uh, realities that were sort of struggling to maintain themselves alive and uh, there was a lot of energy. Um, yeah, well, that sounds a little bit uh, yeah, nostalgic, I, I, I am aware. We are really, really happy of what we're doing these days and uh, we feel that we have been able to, together with all the people, especially thanks to the artists, we've been able to create something which is robust. Not just an idea, but it has, it possesses a, a soul and, uh, and, uh, and uh, it has something to say to people, I hope. Uh, do, you, do you press the records here in Italy or in Germany? No, we press the record in Germany, actually, because, I mean, as I said, um, it, is, it has to do with uh, quality, but also, I mean, simply, you cannot access the, the, the only um, one left plant in Italy. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard this from a lot of small labels over the years, that it's gotten harder and harder to, uh, to get in there, especially for small run. 
Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Well, while we still uh, the, the, the the print part, the covers is still done here also because it, again it has to do with Italy and Milan in particular. You, the, a lot of the stuff we do is as as. You know, it's got to do with experimenting with materials, you know, finding ways of bending plastic and uh, having different materials together or, you know, uh, cardboard and printing techniques and so on. And uh, Milan is a fantastic city, you know, because, I mean, this is really part of um, the heritage of the region, the region and the city. A lot of people working at uh, craftsmanship, art, artisan level to do these things and willing to experiment and willing to take risks. And, uh, and sometime, actually, we had some very bad results. <laughs> because when you experiment, yeah, you know. <laughs> well, one thing I've, I really have come to like about Milano is that I meet people here from all over the country. Mm -hmm. It's not just like in Napoli, everybody's from Campania or, you know, just there's people, thank you. Um, you know, I was at my friend's place, and one roommate's from Sicily, and one's from Sardinia, and one's from Lelice, and one's from uh, Tuscany. And, um, there's a sense of like, this is an Italian city. It's not a Tuscan city, or you know, it's not Napoli. It's not. And hopefully, it will become a city where you have people from Senegal and Morocco mm -hmm. and uh, and China and you name it because this is in our history and people tend to forget that. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why Milan is definitely a, a tolerant city and, uh, uh, and a good city in, in the sense of uh, what they do for you know, the immigrants and the immigration and, and all these types of things. Uh, yeah, historically it's always been like that. I mean, Milan was the, you know, attracting people from, uh, from Italy. We also have to remember that Italy was a land of Immigrants, you know, we had like more than 90 million people, 90 million people going, you know, from South America to North America to other, to Australia, to other places, you know. Yeah. So all these crap about you know, immigration makes me laugh. I mean, come on. As soon as they have a few bucks, they seem to be, you know, the, the landlord, and, you know, or the uh, Stuki my, my, is, is actually Stucky in, in Polish, you know, they were coming from Poland. I mean, people always move from one place yeah. to the other, and this is what makes the world a place worth living. Otherwise, you know, I, I wouldn't live on pasta always <laughs> for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. 